Okay, let me say good morning to those who are now coming on uh, to TLC and welcome to our lesson seven of um, survey of the New Testament history, the book of Acts. Um, I'm glad that you all are able to come on. Um, I pray that you all were able to do the reading assignment, which was uh, chapter three. Um, we are going to um, look at this chapter for about two, probably two to three weeks, um, breaking it down and, and looking at some things um, in, in this um, chapter here. And to remember that um, this is just a survey level, so we're not going too deep. But this material that is being taught is very challenging because of um, sometimes it's, uh, it's due to our backgrounds of where we came from and no one really taught about the kingdom of God in this way. And so it, it can be challenging, but it is achievable. Um, if you have the Holy Spirit, he is able to, re, um, to illuminate uh, the word of God to you. So definitely depend on the Holy Spirit during this time um, of um of uh, understanding. So before I jump into the lesson here, I want to open the floor to those who have any questions concerning today's reading or last week's or the, the, the last time that we met um, that reading or any um, question you may have uh, that is, uh, that's out there. So I'll give you the time to, to ask that question or comments now. All right, cool. Just want to make sure that I afford you all the opportunity to ask questions or make comments and things of that sort. So the last time we met, we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the importance of it and how um, in order for Israel to be restored or, or to, to live this new life um, or to be resurrected, um, there had to be one that... Um, that had to be resurrected first, and that was Jesus Christ. He was the main sacrifice. And because of um, his resurrection, uh, Israel received hope of restoration, hope uh, of revival. We looked at Ezekiel 37 and talked about the dry bones and how that was a strictly a Jewish situation, the Israel situation on how um, the spirit of God left them uh, through the um, exilic period. Um, and so they were considered dead. They were without God. They weren't saved anymore. But Ezekiel uh, prophesied um, the words to Israel that, that, that one day they will receive hope and they will receive revival. And so today we're going to um, kind of continue um, looking at Israel's restoration. Um, and then we're going to hop in today um, looking at the day of Pentecost. And so we're definitely going to look at it in a different way. Um, then what we know, um, the day of Pentecost, we're going to look at it definitely in a historical um, way. We're going to look at it in a logical way. And we're going to look at it in a cultural way, too, um, to understand what the Jews thought Pentecost was or uh, what was going on during that time. We're looking, we're putting ourselves in their position um, to understand what it looks like versus what we think uh, what was going on, looking at it at a Christian perspective. We want to understand what was going on. And Peter tells us exactly what was going on. And But uh, we have to definitely look at the scripture to do so, okay? And so um, 
what we're, like I said, we're in chapter three of, of our um, lesson for today. And let's go ahead and um, jump to the slide here. If there aren't any questions. <clears throat> Oops, wait, I gotta share my screen, sorry. All right, let's try that again. Okay, so today we're looking at Israel and the Gentiles, the kingdom of God's promise of restoration. Um, so we're looking at part one today. Um, we'll do part two and see how far we get. Uh, there might be a part three, so we'll see how far we get. So, um, so today we are going to learn more about Old Testament historical prophetic context of Jesus' commission to his disciples at his ascension. So we're still looking at chapter one and moving into chapter two and understanding Jesus' commission to his disciples, okay? Um, so second point is that we're going to learn more about how coherently the Bible unfolds God's plan of salvation throughout scripture. And number three, we're going to learn more about the correlation of salvation to both Jews and the non-Jews. Okay. So one thing that is, is so important for us to understand is God's plan of salvation and his order of salvation and not to um, basically the term jump the gun and try to insert ourselves where, where we're where we are not and so right now it is a focus on the Jews and it'll eventually be a focus on the Gentiles focus on us but right now we are um, we're looking at um, God's plan of salvation now first dealing with the Jews and eventually will be um, on the scene about Acts 11 or so okay so um, definitely keep that in mind here and so let's um, see here. Oops. Okay. And so this is, of course, uh, chapter three uh, broke down in six um, subsections here. And so we're going to probably hit the first two today. And then uh, we're going to see how far we get next week. Um, and if we need to do a third week on chapter three, we will. But um, like I said, it's your responsibility to do the reading. I won't cover everything in the, in the um, chapters. I'm, I'm going to hit some highlights but if you have any questions while you're reading, definitely jot that down or make a note in your book and you can always bring it up in class and we can definitely discuss it, okay? So today we're looking at the kingdom restoration in Israel and then we're gonna look at Pentecost and all Israel, Acts chapter two, okay? All right, so um, here's the first slide here. It says, it is sometimes difficult to imagine that as non-Jews, our history, our church history rests upon God's dealing with his first chosen people, okay, um, the Jews. So uh, one thing that we have to understand that when looking at Israel um, and their religion and their culture, it is the incubator for the church. The church is birthed out of the Jewish culture and Jewish religion. And so we have to really understand the significance of that. Even when looking at Paul's teaching, all of his teaching, um, the foundation of his teaching is, um, is the law and is the Old Testament scriptures. So we can't um, dismiss 
Old Testament scriptures fully. We can't, we can't do that because of the teachings that Paul is, um, uh, was giving in the epistles, which is the instructions to the church. And in that you must understand uh, where Paul was coming from. Even when we look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, um, his teachings stemmed from the Old Testament scriptures. And so, um, and so we have to understand as the church, um, the church is birthed out of the Jewish uh, scriptures, Jewish religion, Jewish culture. And that's something that we just, we have to um, understand and to slowly um, begin to study and begin to uh, delve yourself into the scriptures so that you can have a clear understanding, okay? So, um, and so we have to um, understand that uh, when, it, when it comes to the Christian faith, they, they uh, made a plan or they were deliberately trying to erase the Jewish culture um, away from the, the church, the church, because they didn't want to show any ties to the Jewish the Jewish uh, religion or the Jewish culture. And so, um, and so they tried that uh, in the year of like 100, 200 AD, they tried to erase the, the whole history of Jews from, from the church. And you can't do that because the Jewish uh, culture and history is the foundation um, of the church, okay? Built on the, uh, the law and the prophets um, and Jesus Christ being the, the chief cornerstone, you can't take away the law and the prophet. That's the Old Testament scripture. You can't take that away. And so, but the church in about 200 AD, they tried to eliminate the Jewish uh, culture uh, from, their, from their history, okay? But um, um, so this, um, build this, uh, this new church that is about to come on the scene um, was not fully understood by the Jews. They were coming into understanding of it. And God revealed um, the purpose of the church to Paul. And uh, you see Paul uh, kind of being, um, he's always in this amazement of what God is doing because he causes this mystery that God has revealed to me. He said, I am of the less of the um, apostles. I am the last on the scene um, and the Lord has revealed to me this, this, this mystery of, of the church. And so, um, and so this, is, this is where we get our um, instruction from the letters to un for the understanding of, of the church and, uh, of course, our way, a way of living. And so, um, and so we, as the church, we must accept our position in God. God brought us on the scene last, and we must have hope in that. And so here, let's finish um, our, our slide here. And it says, but in the event that Satan has caused you to reject the truth, as he has throughout church history, no doubt, that's why I was talking about you know, erasing history and all that stuff, um, be encouraged to know that Jesus said, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first, okay? So, um, be confident, be, have hope in, in our position as the church, even though we were last on the um, coming into the God's plan of salvation, we will be the first ones out of here um, when the rapture comes. So that is something to just remain hopeful for, remain in joy 
and that um, it, it doesn't matter where our position is and we are in, in, in the last position, but we will be the first ones out of here, okay? So that's something to rejoice. So that means you don't have to force yourself in the Jewish religion, as far as trying to put yourself in scripture. And this is Jesus, uh, God was talking to, to us and, and in the old Testament. And, and that's not, that's not, uh, historically true. He was dealing with Israel first. Okay. He dealt with, um, Israel first. And in Ephesians chapter, uh, two, it talks about, um, how the Gentiles were alienated from the promises of, of God. Um, we were we were adding in later on and it's okay. And it's okay. Right? Cause you'll see a lot of um, writings out there that will try to put us um, at the, in the gospels. You know, the church was uh, established in the gospels and things of that sort, but scripture will not support that. Okay. Um, any questions or comments so far before I go to the next slide here? Okay. Let's go to the next one here. So kingdom restoration and Israel. So um, as modern Bible students um, approach the book of Acts, we must prayerfully resist the tempta temptation to modernize Acts in order to fit some distorted presentation that causes us to view these things through a prism of Christianity. This is especially true of what many have called the programmatic or geographical framework of the entire book of Acts. Uh, so you look at uh, chapter one, verses six through eight. Should the term be my witnesses be understood simply as a church or uh, a grace context only? Or should we understand that con the concept within its Jewish scriptural context um, also, okay? So let's hop into our book here. Let's jump into our book on page 103. Also, you want to have your Bible handy as well because we're going to be looking at scriptures. All my scriptures are not in the presentation. So if you have your chance to, to reach for your, for your Bible, I encourage you to do so. Um, so look at on page 103 under Kingdom Restoration in Israel. Um, I believe on my electronic book, it says 103. So hope it's 103 in your book. Um, it says the promise of the Lord Jesus in Acts 1 and 8, that the disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon them and they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth is widely recognized as a programmatic introduction to the way the narrative of Acts unfolds. What is not so widely agreed upon, however, is the way this promise of Jesus relates to the question the disciples raise in one and six concerning Israel and the restoration of the kingdom. And so we know the question is, um, the disciples raise, you know, what, Jesus, when are you going to, to, restore, to restore the kingdom, okay? So when, when Luke is talking about, um, being a witness witness to Christ, we have to understand that um, them being a witness of Christ is totally different from our being a witness of Christ, okay? They actually spent time with Christ. They were taught by Jesus. They saw his death. They saw his burial. They saw his resurrection, and they saw his ascension. So they're witnessing. Their testimony will be totally different from our 
um, testimony, okay? So the question that they ask in chapters one, one and six is an old covenant question. When will you restore the kingdom? Remember, they've been looking all of these years for a Messiah, for, um, for a king to restore the kingdom back to, to Israel, the physical kingdom, okay? So, um, and so in, in, in this context, the promise of the Lord Jesus provides a more geographical, okay, when you go back into your book, I'm sorry, I, I hop back into the book, yeah. Uh, we will see that in this context, the promise of the Lord Jesus provides more than a geographical outline for the narrative of Acts. It provides further evidence that Acts is about the inaugural kingdom of God in this age, okay? So when we're looking at this specific um, passage of scriptures in, in Acts chapter one, we must um, understand this historical and logical context, okay? So when we, um, so when you're looking at um, logical context, it's looking at the grammar, it's looking at the language, it's looking at the words, and it's looking a, a, about the scripture that surrounds the particular text that you're looking at, okay? So when we're looking at um, uh, verse, uh, verse three of chapter one, it says that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So for them to ask the question in verse six, does not come out the blue because Jesus has been teaching 40 days about the kingdom of God. Okay. And so, um, Going to the next verse here, it says, and while staying uh, with them, he ordered them not to depart uh, Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Okay. So when they heard about baptism of the Holy Spirit is told what they what they heard is totally different from what we know about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So here, um, Jesus is emphasizing the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is, um, of importance, um, over the baptism with water, okay? Um, so when you understand the baptism with water, um, the word uh, we've been studying about, the word baptizo, baptisma, and all the different variations of baptism, but the, 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 the crux of it all is that it was a purification, what was going on. So they, they didn't uh, baptize just once, like, like, um, like when in Christianity, just once, they were purified, they purified themselves every day, okay? So this was part of their ceremonial duties. And so now Jesus is introducing another form of purification, another form of baptism, and that is with the Holy Spirit, okay? And so, um, uh, and so what we understand about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and how that occurs is totally different from what the Jews expectation of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look um, closer, closer at that. But I want you to jump in your book. Um, let's see here. Nope, not jump yet. Um, 
let's go to, let me see, my notes are kind of, oh, okay, I missed a part. Okay, I missed a part. Um, in your book, um, the paragraph that says, first, in terms of the media context, it should be noted that verse six is directly linked to the setting described in the previous verses with a conjunction. Therefore, as we have already seen in these verses, the topic of discussion, the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, consists of many convincing proof um, that he was alive in discussion about the kingdom, okay? So let's jump to 106, page 106, I believe, that says, fourthly, um, that starts in your, um, in your book um, on page 106, it says, fourthly, the language of restoration um, and the disciples' question recalls the promise and hope of the Old Testament for God's people. It is the fulfillment of God's Old Testament promise for his people that Luke repeatedly highlights throughout Acts. So we will now examine Jesus' promise in verse eight, where Old Testament promise of restoration are alluded to, which are programmatic for the narrative of Acts. Um, next paragraph, it says, Old Testament hopes for the blessing and transformation of God's people are reflected in Jesus' words, okay? So these three words that, that, that um, Jesus said is so, so important. The first one is, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Um, the next one is you will be my witnesses and to the ends of the earth. All of these, uh, this, these three statements that Jesus made was not a new statement for the Israelites. They heard this before. They heard it in their scriptures and they heard it in the book of Isaiah. Okay, so we may think what Jesus is saying is new because we don't have an understanding of scripture. And so but when the when the Israelites heard this, it instantly triggered something in, in them because they heard this before. And this takes them back to the to the, the letter or to the book of Isaiah. Okay. And so um, you teach it today. <laughs> I'm trying Re reading this stuff and then hearing you say it is like okay I read it cool but then now it's like to hear it is like it's like now it's like it's, it's like you're giving it legs so it's like yeah 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 you're teaching today oh yes oh bless the lord <laughs> so um let's see here um so the way uh Jesus answered his disciples um, uh, they, they knew the scriptures and they knew that the Messiah was to come. Okay. And they knew that the kingdom was to come. And that was what Israel, I mean, um, Isaiah was talking about a time of restoration for Israel. So let's go back into the book. It says that, uh, though any one phrase of his own, um, may not be making a strong case for seeing the hopes of Isaiah here, the pervasive influence of Isaiah throughout Acts together with the combination of these three allusions um, to, act, to Isaiah indicates that the hopes of Isaiah are found here in Jesus' words. The phrase, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, reflects the wording of Isaiah 32 and 15. So if you look that up, these, this is, these are the scriptures I don't have in my presentation, but um, if you look up these scriptures here, uh, 32 and 15 says, until the spirit is poured upon us from on high. 
in the wilderness become a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a force. So when the, when the spirit is poured on us from high, okay? So the context, the book says, the context in Isaiah 32 refers to the end of the desolation of Judah and the coming of the age when the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So they already had this in their scriptures, okay? Um, and then it, it, it referenced another scripture, um, Isaiah 44, three through five. Now, when you're reading, I highly encourage you to look up the scriptures that this author is using because um, he's using these scriptures to support his argument or support his viewpoint. And you want to know where he's pulling these scriptures from, okay? So um, he, he referenced Isaiah 43, uh, 44, three through five. And it says that for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's and the name himself by the name of Israel. So the phrase, you will be my witnesses, reflects the wording, uh, going back in the book, uh, reflects the wording of Isaiah 43 and 12. So then Isaiah 43 and 12 says, I declare and saved and proclaim when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord and I am your God. So, so hearing about being God's witness was not new to them. This was told in their scriptures in Isaiah chapter 43, okay? Going back to the book, it says, in the context of Isaiah 43, the people of God will be transformed and will become witnesses to the salvation of God when the new age arrives, okay? They will know and believe that the Lord is the only savior, okay? So they heard these prophets begin to prophesy these scriptures in their day, um, and so these, the, the prophecy that was spoken, like we talked about in Old Testament, uh, survey of the Old Testament, that the prophets spoke to Israel only. They dealt with Israel. And so when they spoke this, they didn't understand it in the contemporary nature uh, when the prophets spoke it. But now we're seeing scripture, we're seeing the prof um, prophecy being um being fulfilled in a messianic sense. Remember when you interpret prophecy, you do it in three categories. You do it in the contemporary, what is meant for, uh, for those when the prophet was given the word. So they're the historical audience. Then you understand prophecy in a messianic interpretation when Jesus is speaking or fulfilling scripture, okay? So this is why it's so important for us to get a grasp on the Old Testament because Jesus doesn't always say according to the scripture or you heard Isaiah say, or you heard Moses say. In his speaking, he may allude to a scripture that we may miss, but the, uh, but the Israelites caught because they knew scripture. Okay. And when Jesus begins to say scripture and to begin to carry out the scripture, that is called a messianic fulfillment. Okay. Of prophecy. 
Okay. And then the um, end time prophecy is the eschatological is when the, the scripture or when prophecy begins to allude to um, the end times of what is going to happen in the end times. So what we're looking at now is the messianic fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 42 and chapter 43. Okay, so uh, this is what the this author of this book is trying to pull, and this is what Luke is trying to show his audience as well. Okay, the fulfillment of of scriptures here. Okay, so um, when we read Acts chapter one verse eight, um, let me see here. Is that in the book? Okay, no, that's not in my notes. Okay, uh, we are reading allusions or references to the prophetic scriptures. So, um, no, I don't have that one. Okay. So Isaiah, I me mean Isaiah, um, Acts chapter one, verse eight says that you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Okay. So restoration has overwhelmingly a historical, and cultural context, okay, for the Jews, but not exclusively for the Jews, okay? Um, let's see here. It was always God's plan of salvation um, to uh, to restore and to, um, to reconcile for all the audience of the world. So you got the world, Israel, and the church. So God's ultimate plan is to restore everyone, okay? Um, and so, of course, we're just looking at God's plan and how it is unfolding in scripture, okay? Um, and so when Adam failed, represent all mankind, there was a need for restoration for his people, okay? And so this plan of salvation is embedded in, in the scriptures, um, but uh, we have to understand that uh, the world will not know what the scriptures are saying because God didn't give them the scriptures. He gave the Jews the scripture. So that takes us to um, Romans 3, 3, um, that talks about the advantage of, of to the Jew, but they were given first the oracles of God. Okay. They were first given, they were first given the promises of God. Okay. And so now we're seeing um, God's plan begin to unfold even more and begin to bring the Gentiles into this plan, okay? Um, so because the scriptures were given to them, it was the story that God embed salvation, restoration, and reconciliation, okay? So we must understand it though through the eyes of the Jewish culture, okay? Um, so it was always God's intention that the whole world might be saved, okay? So let's look at any questions or comments so far. I know I'm kind of, because if you don't stop me, I'll keep going. So any comments or, or questions? Teach. Um, <laughs> you guys are crazy. Um, let's go to, um, still on page 106. Um, in the paragraph that says Old Testament hopes, let's let's pick up on um, though any one phrase. Let's let's, let's go there. Um, yep, I'm doing good. Okay, though any one phrase on its own may not be making a strong case for seeing the hopes of Isaiah here, the pervasive influence of Isaiah throughout Acts together with the combination of these three illusions. 
So remember the, the three illusions that we uh, talked about. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witness and to the ends of the earth. Um, the allusions to Isaiah indicates the hopes of Isaiah are found here in Jesus's words. The phrase, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, um, let me see here, uh, comes upon you reflects the wording in Isaiah 32 and 15. The concept of uh, context of 32 refers to the end of the desolation. I think I did this. Yeah, I think I probably copied and pasted it twice. Okay, yeah, I did that. Yeah, but we already went through that. Okay. So let me see here. Yep, because I did to the phrase, to the ends of the earth. Um, let's see, in that paragraph, it says to the phrase, the ends of the earth reflects the wording of Isaiah 49 and 6. In Isaiah 49, a servant who represents Israel, um, you are my servant Israel, who is yet distinct from Israel in that he will restore Israel, which include Gentiles in the restoration. Okay, so we will be included in the restoration. It's just following God's order of um, salvation. Um, so yeah, that's for that's all that that part I wanted to talk about. Um, anybody have any comments or questions before I hop into the second part of Pentecost and all of Israel? Yep, I did. All right, okay, so probably the most anticipated section that people want to talk about. And so now we're going to talk about it. But I want to hear from you all. What is your understanding of Pentecost? That's the question. What is your understanding of Pentecost? Out of all these years you've been in church, you've heard about it. What is your understanding of it? I mean, all we ever heard growing up was, you know, this the, when the Holy Ghost fell and they began to speak in rebebebes. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's it. You know, the Holy Ghost sat on them, that's fire on their tongues. And, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, like the extent <laughs> of it that we might, depending on where you are, you might hear a little bit about Peter's message and, you know, him preaching, but there's, I have never, gotten or heard any in-depth study on this on that particular thing it was just always generic or you know in bible study we might have got there but we never did that in bible study it was just something that was proclaimed on sunday morning at a certain time you know what i mean and right that was it so it just kind of left us out there to be like oh okay so they spoke in tongues like we speak in tongues and fire came you know what i mean and then peter preached and people came to the church you know what i mean and outside of it like that was just like oh okay well let me go do it too right okay okay anybody else so nobody else uh have any understanding of pentecost or when it just kind of wrapped it up for everybody on how they <laughs> <laughs> on how they feel about it. I've always thought it was interesting that Christians didn't really, or don't, we didn't hear when we were growing up, I'll put it that way, that Pentecost existed before then. Mm -hmm. So I was always wondering what, you know, what was Pentecost supposed to be all about? I thought it 
just had something to do with the Holy Spirit. I didn't know before I was a Christian or a believer that um, there was a whole feast mm-hmm. long before that day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, Eva, see your hand up. Um, early on, uh, I had an understanding uh, that Pentecost dealt with the Spirit of the Lord falling where old men will dream dreams, young men will have vision. And um, that was the introduction of the tongues, uh, even though those who was um, there began to speak in their own languages and people understood what they were saying. Uh, But I ended up, uh, as I continue on to study that at one point, that Pentecost also, uh, or, or allegedly said that Pentecost was the beginning of the end times. Okay. Okay. So we have a, um, a vast uh, variance of what Pentecost mean. Anybody else want to add in um, their thought on what Pentecost meant to them or what they've learned about it? Okay. I just want to make sure. So we um, got about... Um, about the beginning, this is the kind of the, the beginning of the end times that Eva said, and um, we um, understand it as the Holy Spirit began to fall on people and they begin to speak in different tongues and fire from heaven and, and all of this stuff. And then Tracy said, well, as I began to, to, to grow into this thing, I understand that this was a feast, that this stuff that they, 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 they uh, celebrated years uh, from before um, Acts 2. So, you know, what's that all about? And so um, that's a really good question to, to pose because that is something that we must understand about Pentecost, about what it meant for the Jews, uh, rather than looking at it as uh, how we understand it in a charismatic way. So I want you to not dismiss everything that you know, but like I always say, just put on the shelf for this uh, segment here. And uh, we're going to look at the historical and contextual understanding of the day of Pentecost, okay? So I got probably about 20 minutes to do so, 19 minutes. And so uh, we're going to, I'm not gonna move fast, but um, anytime, please, please stop me, okay? Um, And so, let me see here. So this is Pentecost in all Israel. So um, a careful review of events outlined by Luke on the day of Pentecost helps serious Bible students to see that this is a primarily a Jewish situation. First, um, Pentecost itself is embedded in the Old Testament history, and it is an ordinance only given to Jews to observe, okay? And so We've been taught that this is something that we all can observe and we have our own way of celebrating it, but it's, it's, it's definitely um, far from what the Jews understand the day of Pentecost. It's totally, it's like black and white. It's totally different. Um, secondly, the narrative of events and their explanations are completely Jewish in the context, okay? Um, um, and then uh, when you look at... Um, Chapter two, when we're looking at you get um, verses one through 13 is a completely Jewish situation because that's when Peter begins to give his sermon. Um, but then on Acts 
12, uh, I mean, sorry, Acts 2, uh, starting at verse 14 and beyond, Peter begins to give an explanation of what is going on on, on this day, okay? Um, and thirdly, all of scriptural, uh, spiritual, sorry, all of the spiritual implications of that day seem to be in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, which was all Israel, okay? So how has so many non-Jews taken this day to be associated with their religions? So as the church, what is the proper way to view the events of the day, okay? So we said, is it mentioned in Old Testament? Let's look at Old Testament. So it is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to 22, okay? Um, so let's look at this real quick here. Um, so before I jump in though, Pentecost is one of the, the three main festivals that God instructed, commanded uh, the people of God to observe. So there are three times a year where God commanded uh, the males of each family, of each household to, to make a journey to Jerusalem. So more than likely the, the, the males would bring their family. And so they will make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Um, and so they, they'll come during Passover, they'll come during Pentecost, and then they'll come through in the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? That's the three times of year that the Lord commanded them to come, okay? Um, and it was about up to, um, about to, in Exodus, it gives us an account of about 600,000 men that will come. But when you um, factor in their family, it comes up to about 2.4, 2.5 million because the average Jew, Jewish family was a member of four and then, of course, when you factor in, you know, grandparents and, and all of that stuff, um, you get up to about 2.5 million people. So think about 2.5 million people all coming together in one place. God calls the, these assemblies three times a year in Jerusalem. OK, so um, verse 15, it says you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day after you brought a sheaf of wave offering, you shall count 50 days uh, to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So the count starts after the feast of first fruits. Okay. So in the springtime, they have their three spring um, uh, feast days. You got Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits. When feast of first fruits happens is a one day event. Then they begin to count up to 50 days, okay? They don't count down. They don't say 50, 49, 48. They count one, two, three. They count up to 50, okay? And then it says seven full, seven full weeks. So seven times seven is uh, seven days a week. So you got 49, 49 days, right? From after the Sabbath. And from that day, you brought the sheaf of wave offering you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh sabbath so seven weeks right then you should uh shall present a grain offering uh to the lord you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be weighed made with two tenths of e5 they shall have fine flour and they should be baked with unleavened as first fruits to the Lord, and you should present it uh, with the bread seven lambs a year without blemish. So they have to bring these seven lambs, wherever they are, they have to bring these lambs to Jerusalem, okay, without blemish. They have to be perfect. Um, and, and 
two in two realms. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering. So right here, uh, all of the thousands of Jews brought um, brought all of this to Jerusalem. The bread they brought the uh, they brought the the lambs. They brought the rams. Everything to Jerusalem for for this day. And if they did not do it, they will be in some type of trouble. Of course, there are provisions for those who are um, like poor who couldn't afford to bring seven lamb. Uh, yeah, seven lambs who don't have that in the book of um, Le um, Leviticus. When you uh, read further further along, there are. Um, uh, some provisions that are made uh, for those who who can't um, offer these sacrifices, uh, but but here um, uh, this was a command by God. So in the book of Acts, this was a feast day. Um, another name is called the Feast of Weeks. Okay, this is what this is what's going on in Acts two. They were coming from all parts. Bring, coming in together, this is what God commanded for them to do to be in this particular place, okay? Um, and then going back to the scripture, let me see here. Okay, okay, let me, sorry, I didn't move the slide, but um, but there it says in verse 20, it says, and the priest shall wave them with the bread of first fruits, a wave offering uh, before the Lord with two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and they shall make a proclamation on the same day, okay? So their proclamation that they brought um, that, was, um, that happened is the equivalent of what Peter was doing on the day of Pentecost. He was given the sermon. He was given a proclamation for their holy convocation. Then it says, you shall hold a holy convocation. You shall do no any ordinary work. It is a statue forever. Your dwelling places throughout your generations. And then it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you should not reap your field uh, from the right up to the edge. You should gather the gleanings of your harvest. You should leave it for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. So Pentecost or feast of weeks has to do with Israel economics. It is their system of economics. They brought these things. So, um, so when they bring these things, it shows their, it, you're, you're seeing their forecast of how the, their economy is going to be for the next 365 days. And because many were blessed and many had um, fields, there were even provisions made for the poor. So they told them not to glean up into to the edge. I mean, not to um, not to harvest up to the edge. Leave the edges for the poor. And we see an example of that with Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was wealthy, and he um, he allowed um, those who were poor to glean off their field. Okay, and so we can make the assumption that Boaz followed the law. Okay, and so this what happened every year. Okay, they bring this and this shows, and this is a blessing, this is sacrifices to God, and it shows them what their next year, what their the year um, ahead is going to look like. So Pentecost, from its historical sense, is about the economy of Israel. We will never talk that in scripture. All we know is Pentecost 
is about fire from heaven and speaking in tongues. So this is the foundation of it. So let's build upon it. Let's get to Acts 2, okay? You got me in Leviticus. Bring me bring me up to Acts, okay? So um, like I said, like Pentecost is like, is like um, Wall Street for America. Go ahead, um, Eva, and give me your state. Go ahead. Uh, you're muted. I'm sorry. Now I understand <laughs> what you was after. I stopped off in my mind. Every time I hear Pentecost, I think of uh, the day that the Lord released the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, but when you begin to talk about their festivities and their ordinance and how they observed it and things of that nature, you didn't ask what happened on the day of Pentecost. You asked uh, about Pentecost. What do you know about Pentecost? Right. Yeah. And so that's I, I was, <laughs> yeah, well, what, yeah, but going back to where they, um, there was the Jewish holidays and things of that um, uh, uh, nature and uh, the, uh, what is the, the uh, day of weeks or the harvest of weeks or whatever that is, all of their various festivities that mm -hmm. they uh, did and, and how they honor the Lord and, 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 and part of their culture. I wasn't thinking or looking at that from that. I was looking at it like what happened on the day when Peter and Holy Spirit came. And so, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yep. But all of this that's that was talked about in Leviticus, all of it took place in Acts 2 as well. And I don't think that um, we were ever taught of, of the other events and, and ordinances and things that that took place on this day here. So I'm just kind of building up our historical foundation, historical ground, uh, so that we can understand uh, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. I'm just build, I'm just building. So right now, we're just laying the foundation, and we're about to build some more to kind of give us to Acts, Acts chapter 2. Um, so let's, let's uh, go here. Like I said, like Pentecost is like Wall Street for, for America, okay? So the, it's about the economies, about forecasting and, and things of that sort. And this is what Luke wants his readers to understand what was going on during, during this time here. Um, so, uh, so before Acts 2, they were celebrating Pentecost or another name is Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Shabbat. They were celebrating this for the last 1500 years, okay? Um, and so, um, let's go to, let's go to here. Did I go here? Okay. I, I went there. Okay. So my note, I'm out of order with my notes, but it's all good. Um, uh, so we went there. Um, let's go to page 108. Um, it says in Acts 1, um, the kingdom of God has been related to the ongoing reign of Christ the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the people of Israel and the disciples' role of the outworking promises of God. In Acts 2, these themes continue or related together in further clarity. The question raised after the events of Pentecost, what does this mean, okay, um, uh, becomes the launching um, pad uh, so it becomes a launching pad for Peter's lengthy explanation, okay? So when the author is talking about the continuity, we have to see, we have to connect, um, we have to connect uh, what's going on in Acts 1 and what's going on with Acts 2, okay? Let's see, what is this slide? Oh, okay, this is just a given a brief description of Pentecost. Um, um, and so 
the question writes that the events of Pentecost, what does this mean, becomes a launching pad for Peter's lengthy explanation concerning the significance of these events. So we don't have to ask uh, what, what does this mean because Luke is asking this question basically in his writing, what does this mean? And we get the answer from Peter, okay? So all um, at, at all times when you're reading scripture, you want the scripture to interpret scripture, okay? We don't have to... Uh, come up with anything. We don't have to conjure anything. The scripture is, is about to give us an explanation on what is going on here, okay? Um, and so in Acts 2, verses 12 to 13, it says that they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said that they were um, they were with new wine. And then Peter gives an explanation um, in chapter uh, chapter two, verses fourteen. Um, so in the book, um, it says in the same paragraph, it says the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is evidence of His resurrection and reign on the Davidic throne and His authority as Lord at the right hand of God. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit was poured out. Um, it's evidence of his resurrection and his reign on the Davidic throne and his authority as Lord um, at the right hand of God. So this is evidence that, that the, the, the Jewish Messiah had come. So their expectation was for the Messiah to restore the kingdom of, of Israel. Okay. And so this is why the Holy Spirit was poured. Our understanding is that the Holy Spirit was poured and they began to speak in, speak in tongues and, and they, they were saved. But let's put some more, let's put some meat on, let's put some meat on these bones here. Um, that the reason why the Holy Spirit was poured is to show um, that uh, the Holy Spirit is evidence in his resurrection and his reign on the Davidic throne and his authority as the Lord at the right hand, okay? Um, when you look at Act, Acts chapter two, verses 31, do I have them? Yes, I do. Acts chapter two, first started, uh, verse 30, it says, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn in an oath that he will set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that neither was abandoned to the neither world, nor did his flesh um, see corruption. Let me see, I think I copied the wrong version. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, nor his flesh uh, see uh, corruption. This Jesus God raised up and being and of um, that we are all witnesses, okay? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I will make your enemies your footstool. So here, Peter is going through Isaiah and his fulfillment on the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, so in the book, that's what the book says. Let's see here. Um, um, in that same paragraph, um, yeah, um, it says that uh, we are, let me see here, we are all, no, let me see here, okay, yeah, here Peter is going through Isaiah and his fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, we are, um, uh, so they, they were all witnesses, um, just like Isaiah said, so everything 
that Peter is saying are allusions to scriptures, okay? Allusions to the prof the prophecy that were given in, in scripture, okay? So on 109, jump to 109. And I know that I'm, going, I'm about to be up against time, but on 109, it says that, um, where is it at? Although, so what, although we will focus more, okay, in that same paragraph, it says, although we will focus more specifically on the role of the Holy Spirit in the next chapter, we will note here that these themes of Jesus' lordship and his pouring out of the Holy Spirit are placed within the framework introduced in Acts chapter one of Israel restoration and fulfillment of God's saving promises, okay? Um, in the next paragraph, it says, in his description of what takes place with the pouring of, out of the Holy Spirit and the speaking various languages in Luke chapter two, verses one to 13, Luke repeatedly highlights a comprehensive picture of the nation under heaven, okay? So this is the, the map on page 111. This is showing all of the, the places that were represented, all of the people that were represented on the day of Pentecost. So when, when this word was given in 2 Samuel about uh, bringing the people back together, they, they didn't have an understanding of it because at that time they were all in one place. They lived within 200 miles from Jerusalem. But now looking in the book of Acts, um, now they're, they live thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. And so Paul, I mean, Luke is, is, is showing us like, okay, here, here are the places that are represented here. And, um, and in this, um, uh, in this, they, they are considered the, the diasporan Jews. They were scattered among, okay. And remember the events that caused them to be scattered. It is the event of 724, 722 BC with the Syrian um, exile and then 586 BC with the Babylonian exile. Remember that a lot of them did not come back to Jerusalem when, uh, when Cyrus told them to go back. Many of them stayed where they were. And so now the Jews were scattered among and now they come into this place, this one place here at Jerusalem. And of course, at the place, these people spoke in different languages. They didn't all speak Hebrew. They didn't speak Greek. They all spoke in different languages. OK, this is what was going on here. And so when uh, so when people talking about them speaking in various languages, one thing that we can never or no, one thing that we never hear is that what were they saying in these languages? No one ever said, no one ever talks about what they were saying in these languages. And so therefore, if Peter is giving this sermon, um, he's, he's giving his sermon, he's preaching to them because he's preaching because they are now unsaved. OK, so he's preaching to them. He's telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that he is a witness of of um, of his ministry, of his death, of his resurrection. He's preaching this in his language. He has one hundred and twenty other disciples with him and they begin to speak in the languages that are represented um, from the other um, from the from the people that came to Jerusalem. And so they began to preach the gospel in their languages. So if, if, I'm, from, if I'm from France, I, there's somebody there that is speaking French and they're, teach, and they're telling me the gospel. 
because at the end of Peter's message, 3,000 people were saved. So 3,000, so the people that came heard the gospel in their language and they were saved, okay? This is what was going on at the day of Pentecost. They were preaching, Paul was, pre I mean, sorry, Peter was preaching the gospel. The 120 disciples, um, the Holy Spirit began to use them to speak in other languages. And it was the languages that was represented. And Luke listed all of the places that were represented on the day of Pentecost from the Parmenia to the Medes, to the Elamites, to the Mesopotamian, to the Cappadocians, to uh, Asia, to Phrygia, to Pamphylia, all these places represented here on the day of Pentecost and all, and everybody did not speak the same language. So that the 120 disciples that were there began to speak and began to preach to these nations here, to these people, to the Jews here. And then they became, and then what? They said 3,000 were saved that day. And then later on, it was more thousands of people. Thousands of people began to be saved that day. That what was going on on the day, the day of Pentecost. And so, um, and so in the book, it says that when we note only, not only the comprehensiveness of the list, but also the geographical location of those lists. And we will see Lucas highlight the arrival of Jews far and wide. So scripture tells us that there is going to be a gathering of, of tongues of every uh, gathering of tongues and nations. Okay. So various tongues and, and languages remember is a result of the curse at the tower of Babel. We're going to see at the end of time in the, in the consummated kingdom that that curse is going to be lifted and we're all going to speak the same language. The Bible doesn't say what language we're gonna speak, but we're all going to uh, speak the same, the same language, okay? And so, um, and so the chart shows us um, that those in exile uh, return to the land. So those who were out far um, in various countries will return back into the land. And it's going to happen again at the end of time as well. You're going to see people come far and wide to return back into the land of Jerusalem. And this is where God, where Jesus is going to come back to earth and to rule and to reign at the end in Jerusalem. Okay. So what we see here is a preview what's going on on the day of Pentecost, we, it, it is a preview of what is to come at the end time. Like Eva said, this is the beginning of the end time. This is a preview of what is going to happen at the end times, okay? And so, um, and so this is, this is the, 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 uh, the transition from old covenant to new covenant, the speaking of, um, of various languages, the preaching of the gospel, um, this mass preaching of the gospel, this mass drawing in people, thousands and thousands of people are now coming to Christ. This is just showing the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. This is the first time that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is now being preached. Okay, so this is kind of the beginning of something new, but it's a continuation uh, in the fulfillment of old covenant scriptures as well. Okay, any questions of that? Or comments? 
because I'm going to stop right there because I'm at 1036. I have more, but I'll, I'll finish the rest next week, though. So we kind of see where I'm giving you a historical view of what was going on. They all had in mind of coming to Jerusalem to do the Feast of Weeks or uh, Feast of Pentecost. They brought everything, but they didn't know that this was God's set time in motion for him to release the Holy Spirit. And um, to basically, we understand now after the death of, of Jesus, this new covenant is about to be like in full effect. And so now in Acts chapter two, the new covenant is in full effect because now since they're saved, now they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This, they didn't know that all of this was going to happen. They didn't know that 120 people were going to preach the gospel. They didn't know that, um, that they will um, hear about this, this man, Jesus the Christ. They didn't know that they were going to give their lives and receive this Holy Spirit. So this is what was going on at this particular day of, of Pentecost. But I wanted to give you all a historical picture and paint it for, for you all so that you all could understand why did this happen in the first place? Well, God already commanded them to be there. Okay. So are, are there any questions or comments? I know that's kind of a lot. So I pray that you all just, you know, just continue to study, continue to read. And of course you have questions or anything you can always ask, but um, your book is very sound though. And it has a lot of information in there. Um, go ahead. I heard somebody on mute. Um, so I wanted to, I guess they really didn't understand because when you talked about Acts 1 and 8, um, mm -hmm. you know, they asked Jesus, when was he going to restore the kingdom? He was yeah. telling them, it's not for you to know, but mm -hmm. you will power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to mm -hmm. witness. So yeah. uh, I guess after Pentecost, then Peter had a better understanding to be able to go in and he was in fill with the spirit to be able to yeah. go exactly what was happening or what had happened exactly exactly yeah now he has the holy spirit things are now are clicking for him remember because jesus said you know what i gotta go because i gotta bring the holy spirit in for to for you for uh, to give you all an understanding there was only so much that jesus um in, in his role that he did and now he had to hand the baton to the holy spirit for them to understand what was going on. And so now, like you said, the Holy Spirit failed and now Peter is getting the understanding of what is going on. He, he begins to preach. And then now this is kind of the starting, this is kind of the launching pad of, of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what happens in the book of Acts. We just see it, them preaching everywhere. So yep, this is the launch pad for that. Yep, yep, the Holy Spirit had me had to go. Yep, in this manner. So thank you for that point there. Um, and yeah, I see it's all connected for everybody. So praise God. Anybody else? Comments, questions? All right, cool beans. So next week we'll finish up here, uh, finish up the kind of the end of looking at Pentecost and then we, hop in, we will hop into the next uh, two sections, looking at uh, the Samaritans and looking at the Gentiles and things of that sort there. So if there are any other questions or comments, um, I will pray out. Um, Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, oh God, uh, for your word, oh God, and that um, your word is made plain to us, Father, and that we are thankful for the Holy Spirit to give us illumination, to give us understanding of your word, Father. 
And so, God, um, I know it may be difficult for some, as it was difficult for me, God, to come out of my religious um, box and to un- and to just put my face in the book, Father, and to read your scriptures for what they were, for what they are, God. Um, so we, God, we, uh, I pray that you will continue to um, shine your light on the word, begin to illuminate uh, for the people of God, and they begin to study and begin to to really hear from you, God, and that they won't take um, for what I'm saying for gold. But God, I pray that uh, they will take, uh, they will be able to hear from you, God, and to take for what you are saying uh, to them for gold, Father. So God, we lift you up and we bless you and we give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you all. You guys have a good day.